Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Cindy. Hey, well, good morning. Uh, happy Lunar New Year to those of you guys who ce- celebrate. Xinian Kuai Le. Uh, it reminds me of my time when we were in China. I really miss living in China about this time of year because uh, if any of you have experienced this, their firework shows over there put anything that we do in America to absolute shame because literally everybody and their mother, mothers are out there just blowing things up on the streets. And uh, one time we were living in, in the tw- on the 27th floor of an apartment complex and uh, I went out on the balcony. I quickly realized I should not stay out here because everything was blowing up right in our face. So happy new year uh, in, in that sense. A uh, couple updates I want to share with you real quickly and then pray. Uh, we, we, I shared with you last week uh, that Marion and Kelvin, Marion, uh, seven months pregnant, uh, ha- had a bit of a scare uh, last week as we were praying for her. We got a text Monday night, I believe it was, uh, saying that it got even scarier, and she uh, went into the hospital for an emergency C-section. And for all that we understood and, and the details that we were getting, it was not only scary for baby, uh, it was also scary for Marion. Uh, but by God's grace, uh, she's doing well, and baby's doing well. Little baby Lucas, born at three pounds, three, three and a half pounds. Um, and so, they, you know, they're not out of the woods yet, so we need to keep praying for them. But the update I got this morning is that baby Lu- Lucas is now off um, breathing support. So a huge answer to prayer there. Uh, at least let's keep praying for them. Uh, if it's okay, let me go ahead and pray for them and then our time in the Word, and then, and then we'll, we'll get into this. Father, thank you for answered prayers. Uh, last week, uh, it was scary thinking about uh, the position uh, Marion, baby, uh, Kelvin uh, were in. Uh, thank you that, uh, that uh, this scare this last week has, has been okay, that they're doing well. Marion's still in pain. Would you heal her? Would you help her be discharged from the hospital soon? Um, would you continue to heal and be with uh, little Lucas in his, his development? But Lord, we, we're singing your praise right now. Thank you for that. And thank you for, we also prayed last week uh, for Marcel after his heart attack uh, the week before. Um, thank you that he got a good report from the doctor today. But we just, we just, we, we don't take these things for granted. And we thank you for your care, for your kindness to us. Father, as we look now at your word, would you, would you be with us? Would you, would you open it up to us? Would you help us to understand what you'd have us understand today? I uh, ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so today we're leaving off where we were last week in the story. Last week was the feeding of the 5,000. And what we see today with this miracle of Jesus walking on the water, it is, it is intimately connected to the feeding of the 5,000 story. 
uh, Mark just shows us, the, the, the writer of this gospel account, shows us that there's a number of connections. Starting with the very first word, immediately. That's his favorite word. I've shared that before. I think he uses it about 42 times in the, his entire book. This word behind the English actually has immediately coupled with another word that basically means the same thing immediately. So he's like, it's like immediately post-haste. So Mark is really connecting these things together. And then, of course, in verse 52, he says, you know, they're out on the lake. They should have learned a lesson about the loaves. They should have learned about what just happened with the feeding of the 5,000. So Mark is saying we need to take this text in light of what we were looking at last week. And last week, what we were studying was... Uh, it, it was, it's a wonderful picture, this feeding of the 5,000, a wonderful picture of what ministry with Jesus is intended to look like. You know, blue skies, a picnic, you know, the, the disciples out there, you know, gathering up the loaves at the end. Wonderful times, a beautiful picture. It's what, a, what it should look like, ministering with Jesus. But this week, we see that ministry with Jesus doesn't always necessarily look like that. There's a reality to it that, that, is, that goes alongside that. And that is that it can be a bit of a challenge at times, following Jesus. There's a reality there. And as it's a challenge, by the way, it is still and actually good and beautiful. So we're going to look at this today, understanding it in, in the context of last week. What does this reality of following Jesus look like as we consider what the disciples were going through out on the lake? So again, just to jump in here, uh, we're, we're picking up from last week. It says, immediately Jesus, verse 45 made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now, real quickly, uh, I mentioned last week that other than the resurrection of Jesus, the only miracle that is recorded in all of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is the feeding of the 5,000. And what the book of John tells us about this account is at the end of this, after Jesus had done this miracle with the loaves, all the crowd came up and wanted to make Jesus king. Uh, this happened a couple of times in his life, actually, at different points. But they wanted to take him and say, Jesus, make your kingdom come now. Set up political power now. Help Israel be this, this hegemon of a power now, is what they wanted. But we see Jesus real quickly here, real assertively dispels that. He dispels this for the crowd. He dismisses them. No, get going. We're not going that direction. But he also dispels it internally. Uh, he goes up on the mountainside to pray, which is fascinating because there's three times where Jesus goes up to pray by himself, and they always come at a point of crisis for him. And what commentators tell us is that is almost certainly happening here. Jesus is actually being tempted to go this route of becoming a king. And he needs to stop and say, you know what? No, that's not why I came. I came for a greater purpose. So he goes up on the, on the mountainside to pray, and he sends his disciples away. In fact, it says he made the disciples go. And as it happens, uh, the, for the disciples' part, uh, it, it leads them into trouble. Uh, verse 47, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And we see that this was happening shortly before dawn. Uh, here's a reality of following Jesus. is Sometimes it will be straining at the oars. Last week, blue skies, picnic, fun times. Uh, this week, there's a reality here that sometimes it's straining at the oars. And by the way, the disciples were put in this position by Jesus. It was at his leading. These guys, we, we are told that the, for the, to cross the Sea of Galilee, it would have taken 
about six or eight hours under even poor conditions. Six or eight hours. These guys were out there, and they're not making much headway. It says the wind is against them. They're straining. And, by the way, this is on top of all the events that we know happened that same day. To recap a little bit of yesterday, the day starts, verse 30. They had just been coming back from a missionary journey where Jesus had sent them out. Just take a staff. No money. No extra coat. Go out. Heal people. Share God's love with them. So they went off and did that, scary as that was. They come back, and on this day, the start of this day, they are reporting this to Jesus. And Jesus says, wow, you guys have been at it. Let's get away. Let's take a little break. Spiritual retreat. And so they go off, and they start to do that. But as they're heading to the location, the crowds see them. They anticipate where they're going to land on, on their boat as they're trying to go away on the spiritual retreat. And surprise, thousands of people are saying, hey, Jesus, we want your attention. And what did we talk about last week? Jesus shows us the compassion we need to have for people, even putting others' needs and helping others above our own interest. And so they stop and they feed the 5,000. They go out and they distribute all this. The disciples are tired. And then at the end of this day, they're sent out into the lake. And in the middle of the night, they've been rowing at it for hours. How would you be feeling in that situation? Now, how would you, what would be going through your head as you're just, you know, you're not getting anywhere. You know, you're, I mean, these guys are fishermen. You know you should be getting there. You're not. Jesus is not even there. How would you be feeling? Uh, there's a reality here is that following Jesus, sometimes it can feel like straining at the oars. There is no promise in the Bible that says if you follow Jesus, you put your faith in him, and to the best you can follow him, life will then become easy, or it'll become comfortable, or your, prom your problems will vanish. Uh, there's a lot of teaching to that regard. In fact, if you were to turn on your television right now, a televangelist would tell you that. It's called prosperity gospel. And even if we don't believe that teaching, because that's just nowhere in the Bible, the Bible does promise blessing, but it's not of the, hey, follow Jesus and you'll be blessed materially, be blessed and your problems will go away. It's a spiritual blessing, which is, by the way, a lot greater than that. But he says, he says, follow me, and sometimes there's going to be, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. There's a reality, it's going to be a little hard. It seems to me that it's easy to subscribe to the faith of the feeding of the 5,000. Hey, that, I can do that, I can handle that, but it's a lot different when it's in the middle of the night, you've been rowing really hard, the wind is against your face, there's waves there, and your safety's threatened. It seems to me this comes on when events conspire against us, Trusted friends hurt us. Loneliness overtakes us, or spiritual dryness oppresses us. It can come in any number of ways, but there's a reality here that, that straining uh, will be a part of the deal if you put your faith in Jesus and, and you're following him. Now, I think for us, there's a number of, of us here, I mean, a lot of you here, you know, we're straining, you know, at the oars. Actually, I've used that a same analogy uh, that we're rowing together as we start this church startup. Um, we're in the boat, and it can feel like straining. And maybe it's in addition to other things happening in your life, all happening at once, like, how is this working? How do I have the strength for this? How does this make sense? But there's going to be some seasons where straining is a part of the deal. And where God is leading, the call is to keep at it. Uh, for some, uh, you have coworkers, you have friends, you have neighbors, uh, and sometimes, you know, that you feel, you feel a tug to uh, 
serve, love, take care of. Uh, sometimes it's really easy. It's a real natural thing to do. You make an easy connection or whatever. But sometimes there's friends, neighbors, coworkers, where the relationship feels a little bit more like straining at the oars. Um, you know, Jesus says all the way to the point of love even your enemies. They might not be your enemy, but it's like, wow, this is a lot of work to care and love, to invest, uh, even when they don't see it. Uh, for some, I think straining at the oars may look like uh, maybe having an understanding that what God has given us, you know, everything that we are, our giftings, our resources, our time, is exactly that. It's God's giftings to, it's God's uh, gift to us that as much as we strain or put our ingenuity uh, towards advancing, say, our career or whatever it might be, considering how these things might be used for loving others, serving and advancing God's kingdom. Um, it can come in any number of ways, but straining is a part of the deal. Um, as God leads, if straining is part, part of it, keep at it. Which, real quickly, a, a pastoral note here, uh, sometime, uh, what I'm not saying is if life is really hard for you, then that means it just needs to suck for you. Um, you know, just stick at it and don't, don't think about it at all. Um, no, if, if it's really hard and you're trying to figure out, is this really where God's leading? Seek discernment on that. Uh, ask for prayer. Ask for community groups are a great way. Current groups are a great way to, to think about this. Because um, I know some of you are in really hard situations in your career. Is God leading you to stay there? I, that's for God to lead. But where he is leading, and it is strain, uh, we need to keep at it. Now, uh, why do we keep at it? Um, this text shows us two reasons why it's worth it. Okay, following Jesus can be like straining at the oars, but what this text shows us is even when that's the case, it is so worth it. Um, it shows us at least two reasons for that. Um, and the first one I want to look at here is it's an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity that we can grow and that when other hard times come, we can handle them. Again, it's impossible to read this text and not see it in light of the feeding of the 5,000. But it's also impossible to read this text without seeing it in light of, do you remember that time a couple weeks back when the disciples were out on the lake and they got into trouble then? Uh, we can't read without think, thinking about that scenario. What happened? The winds built up, the waves built up. Jesus was in the boat that time. Uh, he was asleep. Jesus, don't you care? We're about to drown here. He gets up, he calms the ocean, excuse me, the sea. And it said the disciples were, what back then? Amazed and terrified. Uh, here they are back out on the sea. This time it plays out a little bit differently. Jesus isn't there. Verse 48, he saw the disciples straining at the oars from the mountainside where he went to pray because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the wake, lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified, which real quickly, and maybe this is just scratching my own itch, I've always read this text and thought, how's that really scary? Which, I mean, maybe for you it's like, okay, that's scary. But I think the reason I've always thought, I'm not sure how scary this is, is because I have these pictures of the Renaissance paintings where Jesus is like halo effect, just kind of like walking on the water. This would have been scary. He would have been dimly lit figure walking on this lake that the disciples intimately knew. They're straining at the oars. I've been out on the middle of the ocean. My parents used to own a boat. When it's pitch black, you don't even need someone walking on the lake to be scared in that situation. But then you see them coming. It, this would have been terrifying. And they were, they were terrified. They cried out because they were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. 
They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Do you hear that? They were again terrified, and they were again amazed. When Jesus calmed the storm, Mark 4, we're now in Mark 6, Mark 4, they were terrified and amazed. Who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? And yet, same situation. You, you got to think that if they were out on the lake this time, and Jesus had been in the boat, even if he had been sleeping again, they'd probably been, oh, we got this. Jesus, wake up. Do your thing. Okay? We could use some calming of the sea right now. He wasn't there. Completely different. And I think that's the point. And Mark emphasizes this when he says in verse 42, they had not understood about the loaves. He's saying, connect the dots, disciples. You have enough information. You know enough that you are in safe hands, that you are with the one who can multiply the loaves, who can calm the storm. I think the disciples would have said, but he wasn't in the boat this time. Mark, for his commentary, is saying, you guys had enough. These guys had enough. This, was, this is an opportunity for the disciples to grow in their faith. Uh, it was an opportunity for them to see how did God work in the past? Even if Jesus isn't here, it's a different situation. Oh, he could take care of me here. He could watch over me and, and provide. Remember, we have been looking at, a, we've kind of been building on a teaching that Jesus did early on in the book of Mark when he said the kingdom of God is like a seed. It grows over time. And seed and plants, what they, what they do is they don't just kind of like, you know, skip some steps. No, they grow upon themselves. They put roots further and further down. And over time, they're stronger. They're, they're, they're built to last. They can handle uh, the elements that come at them. You know, I, one of the things I love about my dad is he has a lot of faith. Both, both he and my mom have a lot of faith. And I've grown to appreciate over the years that uh, it's not faith that just sprouted up overnight. Uh, these guys, you know, over a lot of time, going through some really hard uh, life circumstances, which I won't go into now, uh, they've, they've developed real strong faith in the Lord. And so when I've called up my dad, as I want to do at, at, at different points in my life, and I said, Dad, this is, I'm going through this hard situation. I don't know. And son, that, that sounds hard. But you can trust God. And then inevitably I'll say, but dad, and he'll say, son, do you remember the time when you were in that situation back then? You didn't know how it was going to turn out. And it was pretty scary, but did God take care of you then? Yeah, took care of me. Or what about that time where you were in China and, you know, you didn't know how this was going to play out? Or that was, it was really hard. But did God take care of you then? Yeah, he took care of me then. And then that, okay, okay you got it. Then God's shown you that he can be trusted. And so the question I'd have for you and, and for myself is the same thing that uh, uh, the phrase here that, that Mark highlights is, what loaves do you have in your life that you can point back to? And say, oh, yeah, God has shown me. And whether you're in a hard situation now or you, you will be in a hard situation in the future, that you can look back and say, you know what? God has shown himself up and I can trust him. By the way, even if you are not a follower of Christ, you don't identify as Christian, I encourage you to do this exercise. Because I had someone this week, this week, share with me that when they weren't a follower of Christ, that God was showing himself to them. And so God invites us to different places and show, showing us to say, yeah, he can be trusted. So he, straining at the oars is worth it because it grows our faith. But number two, 
it's an opportunity for impact. We see this in, in verses 53 and 56. Uh, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Uh, I was reading these verses and, uh, you know, in my study, and I was like, the question came out, I was like, how, how does this fit? Where's the connection? Now, obviously, we're now thinking about it in terms of this greater thought of following Jesus and, and around that. But I, when I first read it, I'm like, what is the connection? How does this, is, should we talk about this next week, or is this connected here? And then it clicked together. Oh, my goodness. This all happened, which, by the way, Mark is emphasizing here. Everywhere, from everywhere people were coming, villages, towns, countryside, all who touched him. Even for Jesus' standards, this is an amazing piece of text of like, wow, there's some awesome things happening. Massive scale. Mark's making that point. None of this would have happened had it not been for the disciples straining at the oars. And you know what's really fascinating to me about this? None of the people who were touched by Jesus would have known that the disciples had been straining at the oars. Those people who were healed, they wouldn't have been coming up to the disciples. Thank you so much for straining at the oars. Thank you so much for having this really long day. I know you had that retreat planned, but it didn't work out. Thank you so much for doing that because we got to experience Jesus. None of them would have known, but Jesus would have known. Jesus knew that they had strained at the oars, and that's what matters. That's what matters. That's what this is all about. They got to be a part of ministering with Jesus, seeing Jesus do his thing, sunny blue skies, picnic, feeding the 5,000, that was wonderful. Sign me up for that. But they also got to be a part of it, even when it meant straining at the oars. And I almost feel like that could be more precious. Jesus knew. He saw them. And the impact was incredible. But thinking about that, rewind a couple of steps back to them straining at the oars. Did they know, verses 53 through 56, all this was going to happen at that time while they're straining? No, they didn't. What were they probably thinking about while they were straining at the oars? Straining about at the oars? Man, these waves. Man, this wind. Where's Jesus? Why did he? Who knows? My point is, they had no idea what Jesus was getting ready to do. We often will not know what God is getting ready to do or how he will work, when and how, or when and how people decide to choose and respond. But the calling of Jesus is not just serving others and loving others when it's sunny and blue skies. It's a call to love, serve Jesus, rain or shine. Picnic or straining at the oars. And it is beautiful and powerful. So much is going on that we, we don't see. You know, as a pastor... Um, doing people work or service for a living. I'm often jealous of you engineers because you guys at the end of the day get to have a product. You're like, wow, I built this. Uh, my my father-in-law, he used to have this, he worked it for a Kodak for a number of years and he had a couple of printers that he kept in his office as just kind of like trophies. And it was awesome. He just, he got to, from the initial design and concept through the shipping of the product, be a part of building this printer, which all of us would look at today and be like, oh my goodness, that archaic thing, you know, technology or whatever. But he's just like, that's the thing. And people stuff is not that way, is it? 
I mean, some of you guys, I know you're, you're in people work. We have at least one uh, uh, therapist, and that one great work. But, you know, you're sitting, a therapist is sitting with somebody a week, you know, every, once a week, twice a week, maybe for an hour. Uh, do you get to see a lot of life change? You know, maybe you'll get an email a couple years later, someone saying, hey, that really helped. Oh, awesome. Uh, but it's, it's different. It's over time. We don't necessarily know how God's going to move, but that's what he calls us to in people work. You don't know about the people next to you in your, in your life. You know, if you're making yourself available, you're bending over backwards to be there, care for them, helping with their marriage, you know, talking it through, whatever it might be, pointing them to Christ. We don't know how people are going to respond. I know uh, I was talking uh, to someone in our church uh, recently, and, and this is the topic. It's like, we don't know how people are going to, uh, you know, take this in, but, you know, we've got to keep at it. And she said, yeah, man, I've experienced this before. I, I, she was telling me, and this is such a great story. She's saying, you know, I, I remember uh, when I first started a job, I was working with uh, someone. And I just felt a tug in my heart to just care for this person, love them, serve them. And as best I could, because my faith is so important to me, to share that with them, share God's love with them. And so I was praying, and I was thinking about this, and I, I took opportunities I can. And after a while of, of having opportunities to share, uh, you know, this, this friend of theirs basically said, you know, that's nice you believe that. Uh, that's not for me. And she's like, oh, no. And so, but she's just like, okay, I'm going to keep praying, thinking, thinking about this. Months went by, and at some point, this individual, this friend, was going through some hard times at work, and uh, this friend became a little more open, have a little more conversation, okay, you know. But it also happened right at the time where he was going to be transferred out to an, another place, another job. And she's just thinking, oh, no, it's like we're having conversations. This is wonderful. And uh, she said, you know, I encourage you to find a church where you go. That would be really helpful. And bye. And I can't remember the exact timeline on this, but months later, I think it was actually a year later, the person emailed her again and said, you know, thank you so much for sending me to church because I actually ended up going to church. It was immensely helpful. And by the way, I put my faith in Christ. And we were just thinking about that. And she, her, her commentary on that is like, man, God just works in such amazing ways. Look, that's an awesome story to know that that happens. And, but often we, won't, we don't know how people are going to, we don't know how marriages are going to work out. We don't know how career, how, we don't know how, neighbors who are going through, we don't know how it's going to work out necessarily. God's going to choose to work when and how he does. But you know what Paul says at one point? He says, my dear brothers and sisters, this is 1 Corinthians 15, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here's what we've been saying. Straining at the oars, you know, having, you know, pushing through a challenge is challenging, but it's worth it. I think as a culture, we get that. Do we not? I mean, we have these slogans, no pain, no gain. You know, just stick at it. Uh, just do it. All these slogans, which by the way, just about every time I ever hear these slogans, they're about us bettering ourselves, right? Stick with that career, and it'll, you know, push through the risk and things will can go better for you. Or like our health or our bodies. Just like stick at it with the exercise or whatever and your body will get more healthy. Those are wonderful things and we understand this concept. What Jesus is saying here as his follower is there's a higher calling here to do that 
for the sake of loving others. And if I'm going to summarize that in one word, sacrificing, straining at the oars, even when it means straining at the oars, for the sake of others. But here's the thing. As awesome as that is, hey, David, what a, what a great inspiration. You know, I can grow in my faith if I do this. I can have big impact. You know what? That's not enough. That's not enough unless we understand one thing, and that's what ultimately this passage is about. And I think it comes clear in this one really weird, this little enigmatic, it's a hard word to say, verse here that is just bizarre at first reading. Did you notice this? It says in verse 48, at the fourth watch, excuse me, that's not my translation, about just before dawn of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. What in the world is that all about? He was about to pass them by. I mean, especially since a couple of verses before he said he saw them straining at the oars, so he set out for them. But when he got out there, ain't no thing, you know, walking on the seat. He was about to pass them by. What in the world is going on there? Here's what's awesome about this text, what Mark is no doubt referencing, is there is a handful of verses in the Bible that say exactly this in terms of God's relationship with his people. Written hundreds of years before Jesus was on the scene, it talks many times in the Bible about God passing us by, but perhaps none clearer or more strikingly clear than Job. Uh, Job uh, wrote this, uh, talking about God, he speaks to the sun and it does not shine. He seals up the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He is the maker of the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. What is Job saying hundreds of years before Christ? Why does God pass him by? Because that's what God does. God passes by. Why? Because he is the creator. He is the sovereign. He is the holy one. He passes us by. That makes sense. Who are we? And by the way, it's worth noting that the Bible describes Job as blameless and upright, the best among all the people. That's how the book of Job starts. And by the way, the book of Job is a story of him being a sufferer. Despite being blameless, walkless, uh, 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 blameless and upright, which by the way doesn't mean he was perfect and sinless, but in terms of comparing, he was up there at the top. Despite that, he suffered immensely. That's what the book of Job is. But Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of the storm, didn't pass by the disciples. What's changed? That's the great miracle of here in Mark 6, it seems to me. It's not Jesus walking on the water, as cool as that is. It's that Jesus didn't pass them by. That's what Mark is showing. He got in the boat. He said, take courage, it is I. By the way, he didn't say, take courage, the seas are going to calm down now. The, you know, I'm going I'm to take care. He said, you've got me. That's the miracle. It's not that the seas and storms are going to calm down. It's that we get, it is I. Which, by the way, is another incredibly powerful verse referring to the most holy of names in the Bible for God, the great I am. 
I am. We get, we get the, the beginning and ending. We get the creator. You know, last week I read a text. We were talking about compassion. And I, I, I referenced this text in the Old Testament uh, about when God comes and declares who he is to Moses. It's in this most important places of the Bible. He's receiving the Ten Commandments, and we're not getting what other people say about God de- declaring who he is. We're getting God himself coming to Moses to declare, to proclaim who he is straight from his mouth. And what that text says, I read it last week, the Lord, the Lord, by the way, that's that powerful name. That's the, the, the name Yahweh, which built into it is I am, a name so holy that Jews today will not pronounce that name. The I am, the I am, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. What's crazy about that verse is what just precedes it, and this is what hit me in, in my study this week, Exodus 34, verse 6, starts with, before he makes this proclamation, and God, was, God passed by Moses. Actually, the full story is he had to cover Moses. I'm too holy, Moses. I'm going to pass you by, and he described who he was. He, that's what he, God does. He passes us by. By the way, that's Moses. Look, is, are the disciples better than Moses? Are the disciples better than Job? No. Not in a long shot. Are we? No, what's changed? Why did Jesus get in the boat? It's what this passage is pointing forward to. It is a foretaste of what Jesus ultimately came to do, and that is take care of the greatest wind and waves that we face. That is sin and the consequences of sin. Our separation from God the Father. Otherwise, he'd pass us by. The miracle here is not he walked on the water, but on the cross, he went into the wind and waves full on for our sake. So that when God looks at people who put their faith in him, he sees God's, he sees Jesus' righteousness in them. And therefore, he doesn't pass us by because he sees what Jesus has done for you if you put your faith in him. He doesn't have to cover you anymore. He gets in the boat. We get the great I am. So don't you see that whatever comes at us, the wind, the waves, the straining, it's worth it. Look, it grows our faith. Mark's making that clear. It has tremendous impact. That is awesome. But the biggest thing is we get him. We get the great I am. You probably didn't know this. I didn't know this. This is a classic text, I've come to learn, that early Christian martyrs looked to in times when they faced death. They did not do it for the promise of God healing, you know, calming the winds and storm. They did it, they looked at this text to claim we have the great I am in the boat with us, even facing death. Now, we're not facing death in terms of a martyr's death in this room. But we can trust the one who gets in the boat with us. He has made the way to get in the boat with us. We have the one who doesn't pass us by. And it seems to me that to the degree we let that sink in is to the degree we won't sink no matter the storm. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you are 
the wave treader. You are the one so beyond us that, uh, it, I mean, even to Job, it's laughable to think that you, you wouldn't do anything but pass us by. And yet we are blown away by the thoughts like the psalmist wrote, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. We know the answer to that. Those questions is of such value to you that you sent your son to die for us. That not only do you care about calming the seas and winds in our lives, you care about these things, clearly, but we get you. So, Father, help us cling to that. If some of us here are going through some hard times, would you be with them? Would you help them know that you're in the boat as they're straining at the oars? Or if, there's, if there are some here uh, who have, I don't know, I guess one way I could say it is I never asked you into the boat, receive the forgiveness that you give us so freely on, on the cross by dying the death that we deserve after living the life that we can't. I pray that you would work in there, that you draw them to you even now. And if this is you, you can, you can pray a prayer in your heart. Saying, God, I, I, I want to receive this forgiveness. I want uh, the forgiveness that you give so freely and graciously on the cross. I want you. By the way, if you do that, I'd love to talk to you. Or if that's, if that's uh, a little much, you can just indicate that on your card. But I'd love to get some resources into your hands. But Father, we, just, we want to be a church that serves you and loves others, picnic or not, rain or shine. Um, we love you and we thank you so much that we, get to, we have the privilege of doing this here in the Silicon Valley together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, at this time we're going to continue to worship by taking this morning's offering. Uh, buckets will be passed around. If you're new with us, uh, I would, we would love to get your information just so we could send you information, details and things. Um,